welcome to College Hoops Chat. I'm your host, Jim Maysano. This is your weekly college basketball radio show here on WVOX, 1460 AM in New Rochelle, New York. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being part of our show. Well, folks, the games have begun. Yes, we are back to being able to discuss on our show real basketball games. We spent the last month doing previews of the season. Now we get to talk about games. And in the first week, there were some really, really fun games. Um, I enjoyed it. I went to two games. I went to Iona's games uh, at home on uh, a week ago tonight, Monday night, against Penn, which was a really fun game to go to. Uh, that was great. Iona won. And then I went Friday out to Hofstra on Long Island. Uh, uh, first time Kyle Hoops Chat did an away game. We did an away game at Hofstra. Thank you to Iona College. They gave our show media credentials. So we were big shots. We got to go to Hofstra and ask questions uh, uh, in the media. That was nice, uh, even though Iona lost. And we'll talk about those games uh, tonight on the show. And uh, I watch basketball pretty much every night since opening day. So I've got a lot of games uh, in my head. I'm going to try to talk about them tonight. Let's talk about the show, though. So tonight uh, at 8.15, in about five minutes, we're going to have um, Kevin Sweeney from Sports Illustrated, someone that uh, I've been watching and following on college basketball since I started this show, and he's kind of an up-and-comer in college basketball, so we'll look forward to chatting with Kevin. And also at 8.30, we're going to have a friend of the show, someone who has a, his own blog about college basketball, Patrick Madden from the Big Big East blog. And our last segment, of course, our number one caller, Kenny from Rye. All right, so let me just say this before we start talking about games. Some people felt the first week of college basketball this year was a little slow. A lot of big-time teams playing cupcake games, really easy games. They call them buy games. That means that the smaller school gets paid a lot of money to go to the bigger school to play, uh, and they usually get blown out. But not always, but often. So anyway, um, this week, it seems like the games are picking up a little bit. Let me give you a couple of games to watch. So while while we're chatting here at 8.30 p.m., so 8.30 to 10.30, so that's where I'm going. From here to go watch this game, Butler at Penn State, I think is going to be a really good game. Penn State's favored, and I think it's going to be a tight game. So I, I, if I was, like I said, if I was a betting man, and I am not, I would bet Butler. I think Butler's pretty good, and they're not getting it that much early season recognition. Tomorrow, you got great games, folks. Michigan State at, uh, excuse me, Michigan State versus Kentucky. Uh, they're playing Indianapolis on ESPN at 7, 9 o'clock. You got Memphis at St. Louis on CBS Sports Channel. And then 9.30 at Kansas and Duke, two big-time Blue Bloods. That's Tuesday night. And then Wednesday night, some nice games. Iowa at Seton Hall, which we'll talk about with Patrick Madden. And Gonzaga at Texas, 9.30 on Wednesday night. Big-time game, folks. I think you'll enjoy it. All right, let's get to... The two Iona games. All right, I'll try to do about two minutes on each. So Iona won their opening game, 78 to 50 over Penn. It was close for about 10 minutes. Rick Pitino turned on his press, and then Iona blew them out of the gym the rest of the way. It was a close game uh, until uh, Rick put on the press. The reason Rick didn't press at first is he's worried about his depth, which is something that seems to be a problem so far with the young Iona team. But a huge opening game at Iona sold out. Packed crowd, opening day win. They were dominant in the second half. Everything clicking, strong defense off the press, fast, exciting offense. Uh, trans transfer 
Uh, Danis Jenkins, it was terrific all game. 19 points, five assists, six rebounds, three steals, played great. He's a transfer, and he'll be a real significant player for Iona this year. Quinz Lazinski was very mature, I thought, on the court. As a leader on the court, kind of stepping in with the guys graduating last year, he had 16 points. And Nelly Jr. Joseph, Mr. Reliable for Iona, 13 points, 10 rebounds. Great opening win against one of the strongest teams in the Ivy League. All right, so all was happy because they won their opening game. But then they had to play Hofstra on Friday night. Hofstra's very good. And uh, it was an exciting first half, 43-40. Hofstra had the lead. Hofstra was shooting really well from three. And one player in particular, Tyler Thomas, had 16 points. Um, Iona was better in the paint. Hofstra was better from outside. They were getting a lot of good looks, open shots. Iona had more rebounds. Again, they were better in the paint. But Iona ended up losing, and the reason they lost was they couldn't defend the three. That's the story of the game Friday night at Hofstra. Sometimes you just tip your hat. That's what Rick Pitino said. They played great, Hofstra. They hit 48% of their three-pointers. Obviously, if you're in the gym right now at Iona University, practice, I'm pretty sure Rick Pitino and the coaches are drilling them on how to stop threes. Hofstra players were quick. They were coming off ball screens and getting wide open threes. That's a, a problem Iona will correct for sure. And you can see why uh, the Pride, the Hofstra Pride, is seen as a top team in their conference, the Colonial Conference. Uh, they're fast, they shoot well, they play good D. Iona really couldn't use their press because they were just too quick. Hofstra. So Hofstra's a good team. Keep an eye on Hofstra. They were the better team on Friday night, even though it was a really good game. It's 83-78. But I went out there, had a lot of fun. One problem for Iona on Friday night, 90% of their scoring was by the starters. They only had 10% of their scoring off the bench. Quince Lezinski led the way with 20. Joseph had 17. Jenkins 13. But um, it was a really fun game Friday night at Hofstra. I just wish Iona would have won the close game rather than lose the close game. So it was exciting. Uh, a couple of points before we go to our, our guest. Rick Pitino was effusive with praise for Hofstra's performance and coach Speedy Claxton after the game. Wasn't happy about his depth. Only eight points off the bench. Again, Iona won the game to paint 44-18 in second chance points, 18-0. But they fouled a lot and they gave up way too many threes. And Tyler Thomas, a transfer from Sacred Heart, was the best player on the floor Friday night for Hofstra and scored 26 points. That, that's Iona's story. One win, one loss. Iona plays Friday night at Mohican Sun against Vermont. I'm going to try to get out to that game, too. All right, we have our guest, Chuck. All right, so let me go to the phone line now. I believe we have Kevin Sweeney from Sports Illustrated. Kevin, are you there? Yes, sir, I am. How are you? Well, thank you so much. You got to, I guess you probably got to hear my analysis of the Iona game. I know you have somebody that has followed the MAC Conference in your day. I've seen you talk about the MAC Conference. Uh, Iona has another very good team in the MAC Conference, uh, although I think the MAC Conference at the top end will be kind of close. Um, are you still following the MAC, Kevin? Yeah, I grew up in in Albany. So I grew up going to MAC tournament games. Uh, obviously, you know the the Iona wins that they had under Tim Kloos in the MAC tournament uh, several times. I was there when they cut down nets. Uh, grew up following Sienna very closely because of that. So uh, it definitely still has a, a special place in my heart, and it should be a fun year for the league. I mean, Iona's. Very talented and obviously incredibly well coached. Uh, but Sienna's off to a, an excellent 2-0 start. Quinnipiac got a great win. Ryder looked very competitive against Providence. Fairfield should be improved. So uh, it, it's, it's a great league and uh, kind of one of those you know small conference gems in this thing when you go 363. Small schools that really care about basketball. They're really bought in. and uh, it, it, I, I will always take a little extra time to, to check out the match. 
I agree, Kevin. You really hit on the nose. There are five teams that I think are going to battle out for the top of the MAC. You name them all, so you're certainly following them. All right, so tell us your journey. You were up in Albany, and now you're working for Sports Illustrated. How'd you get there? Uh, yeah, so I was, you know, I fell in love with college basketball in the mid majors, especially because, uh, you know, I didn't, I don't think I understood when Sienna was going to the NCAA tournament winning games, right? They beat Vanderbilt one year, Ohio State the next year, but it wasn't normal for a school of that size to have the success that they were having. So I fell in love with it and uh, started covering college basketball late in high school. Um, knew I wanted to do journalism, went to Northwestern, which is you know, one of the best journalism schools in the country, uh, and was really fortunate to have you know made made the connections I was able to make while there with you know the the folks at Sports Illustrated, but also tons of people in the college basketball world, whether they be you know journalists like people like Jeff Goodman and Jeff Borzella, who've been super helpful to me. Um, coaches, I've been very lucky with timing. I mean. My first year in Chicago was Dear Loyola made the Final Four, uh, and being around that story was very, very cool. So uh, was was an intern originally at Sports Illustrated back in you know 2020, 21, uh, that, that season. I uh, started full-time in July of 2021, so my second season as a full-time college troop writer at SI, and uh, I truly believe it's like the best job in the world. I go to games for, for a living and watch the Champions Classic tomorrow, which would be a lot of fun. I agree. You know, I want to have the opposite life of you, Kevin. So I'm toward the end of my career now. So I might be having this as my second career in my 60s, and I'll be having as much fun as you. How about that? More the merrier. Join the, join the journey with us. Let's Thanks. Do it. Thanks so much. All right. Uh, so, Kevin, um, I want to give you the compliment I gave you last year where you were on the show. Thank you again. Of course, thank you for being a friend of the show and coming on our show. Uh, but you do a really great job on Twitter. Very substantive tweets about college basketball. Thoughtful. Fair. So I'm a fan. And I do check you out every day on Twitter. I thought you should know that. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, not necessarily the easiest platform for uh, uh, even, uh, even-handed analysis, but I do my best. So. You do a really good job. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Uh, Kyle Troop Chat will be following you. All right. So first week of the, of the season, uh, what are the thoughts flowing through your head about the college basketball season after week one? Well, I think... The, the biggest thing I would point out is kind of the unpredictability. And obviously that's something we know time and time again, but somehow we're still surprised. Like in, in an opening week where maybe the teams with the two best wins, Colorado beating Tennessee uh, and Temple beating Villanova, maybe the two best wins, those teams also had maybe the two worst losses, Temple losing at home to Wagner, uh, Colorado losing on the road to Grambling State. Uh, that's a good reminder that, for the vast majority of teams in college basketball that are capable of losing to almost anyone on any, any given night and beating almost anyone on, on any given night. So uh, we'll certainly get to see some of the elite teams get tested more here in the next two weeks. We've got an unbelievably packed schedule coming up pretty much every day. There's a very high-profile matchup uh, really through the end of November, uh, but in, in a first week that was loaded mostly with you know, non-competitive games on paper, I think we got a good reminder uh, that that things are never as they quite appear uh, if, if you were playing games just based on uh, Ken Palm and the projections. Things 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 get crazy in a hurry in this. So as I'm talking to you, I'm scrolling through College Hoop Chat Twitter page because I know I listed uh, uh, in the first couple of days there was 11 games where the buy team, the team getting the money to uh, allegedly to lose, won the game. There was 11 victories for the weaker team against a stronger team, uh, kind of perfectly. Uh, describing uh, your talk, your your thought about it being so um, up and down in the first week of the season. Yes, and and there's nothing more fun if you are a if you are a small program than going on the road and, and beating a team. 
and then collecting $80,000 to head home anyway. So let's yeah. read them out. So there, there was 11 games where a big-time team lost to a much lower-ranked team in a lower conference, uh, and they, were, they paid that lower-ranked team to come play them, and the lower-ranked team beat them. UCA, USC lost, Florida State lost, Oklahoma lost, California lost, Rhode Island, University of Central Florida, South Florida, Temple, Cleveland State, Northern Illinois, and University of Missouri at Kansas City. Uh, there's your 11 uh, by-game losses. Those teams all lost. Yes. Uh, that, and, I mean, some, some huge surprises there. Obviously, the competition gap is, is, is very different, you know, depending on the teams you played. But, like, Oklahoma losing to Sam Houston was very surprising on opening day. USC, I know they're you know, younger this year, but losing to Florida Gulf Coast was a huge surprise of the first game of Pat Chambers' time at, at FGCU. So uh, the season's not over for those teams by any means, but they're not the way you want it to start. All right, so I'm going to ask you about the game I enjoyed the most, and you'll understand why when I give you a quick description why. Um, then I want you to tell me the game you, dis- you enjoyed the most. I really, of course, I'm a veteran. I served in the Marine Corps, so to watch... Michigan State and Gonzaga square off on an aircraft carrier on Veterans Day was really special for me. ESPN did a really good job of describing how important it was to the sailors and the military people on the ship and veterans across the America. I thought ESPN really concentrated on that, introduced us to the ship captain, and it was really a great night, I think, for the sport to go on that aircraft carrier. And then you got a really terrific game where Michigan State gave Gonzaga all they could wish for. They led, uh, I think, by about 12 at some points in the game, but Gonzaga stormed back. Uh, I really, not only was it exciting for me on Veterans Day as a veteran, but it turned out to be a great basketball game. Yeah, I mean, first off, kudos to Tom Izzo and Mark Few for signing up to play that game. A lot of coaches have not wanted to play these super competitive opening week games, particularly in the circumstances of you're going to be playing outside, there's going to be lots of kind of uh, uncontrollable effects, like right? the wind, the sunset, things like that. Uh, and, and those guys signed up to play it. And I think both teams got better because of it, right? I mean, Gonzaga had to really battle and dealt with a really tough physical Michigan State team. And Michigan State, I think, learned a lot about how, how good they're going to need to be late game executing to win games because they don't have a ton of that. And you saw them have trouble with fouls for their two bigs, Sissoko and Joey Hauser, down the stretch. So, um, I think a really good test for both teams. Both teams play arguably the two toughest schedules in general in college basketball. Um, Michigan State will be in the Champions Classic tomorrow night, and then Texas uh, hosts Gonzaga on Wednesday uh, before some other big games here in the next two weeks. So both those teams will be tested plenty, but it was a good first test for both those teams, and I think both teams learned a lot. And obviously, again, a great, uh, great atmosphere and a great um, learning experience for the players and a great experience honoring the military on a day like veterans. I agree. And uh, it was interesting in that um, both teams shot lousy from the field because it's tough to shoot on an aircraft carrier without a roof. It's like playing in a schoolyard, but even maybe a little bit harder on an aircraft carrier. So uh, both coaches talked about uh, in the coverage how they were uh, pushing their guys to get the ball down low, which kind of helped Michigan State early in the game, I think. But at the end of the day, one of the best players I've seen in the last decade uh, at getting the ball with great footwork around the net. Drew Timmy just took over the game in like the last five minutes, and he was the MVP of the game. I love watching Drew Timmy play because he plays with such a passion for Gonzaga. Uh, he's really a special player, and he's the kind of he's the guy that'll, I think, if Gonzaga is to have the season to get back to the Final Four, it's going to be built around him. Yeah, absolutely. I think he'll be even more important for the first month because they're a little unproven in the backcourt with their guards. 
I think you saw Nolan Hickman, their sophomore point guard, struggle a little bit. They don't have the, the, the consistency at that position that they've had in recent years, and because of that, they're going to have to really lean on Timmy in some of these high-profile games early on if they're going to find a way to win. And he, he was up for the challenge against Michigan State, uh, but I think they're going to need more from their guards long-term if they really want to push for a national championship. Yeah, I, I would add Strother to that, too. They're going to really rely yeah. on him as well. Um, I do think Hickman's going to keep getting better, and by February might be a very solid point guard. That's just my little prediction. Kevin, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm with you there. He's got all the talent in the world. All right. On the other side, I was impressed with Michigan State. Uh, A.J. Hoggart's a very solid player. He had played well uh, throughout the game. I really like Tyson Walker's game. He's someone who's going to keep getting better. And Suzoko, uh, had he not gotten the foul trouble, uh, they might have won that game because he was really a force uh, when he was on the court. So, uh, and Joey Hauser got in foul trouble, didn't do much. But I do think Michigan State is, a, frankly, a little better than I thought they were watching the play at least for the first three quarters of the game where he had the lead. I'll be anxious to see how that team develops in the season. Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest revelation for me was Sissoko because he largely had not contributed much his first two seasons there. And Izzo was criticized a good deal for not recruiting a transfer center, not going into the portal and filling at that spot. Um, but he bet on Sissoko and some of the other younger guys in that program. And so far, Sissoko has paid off on that bet. We'll see how it develops through a full season. But that was a very encouraging performance if you were Tom Izzo to see your, your young big play as well as he did. I agree. He played well. All right, now you tell me, what game did you enjoy the most in the first week of the season? That, that's really hard. I will say uh, I was at the Wisconsin versus Stanford game in uh, the Brewers ballpark. And obviously that wasn't the closest game I saw all week, but that was really cool for me. I'm a baseball guy. I grew up playing first base. I you know, love the game. And so another unique venue. Yes. Wisconsin fans get to you know, bring, bring, baseball to, bring basketball to Milwaukee, bring their program to Milwaukee. Obviously the Badgers have such great supports throughout the state. Uh, and there was about 18,000 people there. Uh, the crowd was really locked in. It, it felt like a big game. You would feel it like the Carrier Dome in Syracuse, where it's not necessarily a traditional basketball venue, but the fans are really you know, locked in, and, and it just felt there was an energy to it that was really special. So I won't forget that one. I go to you know, 50 games a year. I try to at least, uh, and that one will be you know, one that I will not forget anytime soon just because of the, the venue and how well done it was. I agree. You know what I was kind of thinking as, a, as an analogy to it? Uh, that hockey game they play every year in one of the baseball fields uh, outside. I think it's a, the, what they call it, the Winter Classic in hockey. I was thinking yeah. that that's kind of a, a similarity playing a basketball game in a baseball stadium, too. Absolutely. And, uh, again, you deal with some of the similar issues. At least this one, it's inside, so you don't have to really worry about wind, but you don't have to worry about uh, fight lines. They weren't great. Teams didn't shoot well because of it. But uh, at the end of the day, I think for one game, I think it's well worth the opportunity to give guys a unique experience, have something that's marketable to fans, marketable to people who might watch on TV. Uh, so I thought it was a really cool cool game and a cool venue. All right, so tomorrow night, I think you got three big-time games. you got Michigan versus Kentucky and Kansas versus Duke. Uh, I think they're playing in Indianapolis, uh, all these blue blood schools. But there's a third game that I think is going to be a terrific game, and I think you might see an upset. Uh, Memphis at St. Louis. I could see St. Louis beating Memphis tomorrow. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I'd go as far as to say I'm not sure it would be an upset if they won that game. I think St. Louis is that good, and they're on their home court. I think it'll it'll be a very close, very competitive game. Two very old teams. I think Memphis, nine of their top ten are seniors or fifth-year players. Uh, and at uh, St. Louis, 
They have three veteran guards who've been in the program uh, for three or more years who've been really, really uh, high-level players, multiple you know, potential player of the year in the league, Javante Perkins and Yuri Collins. So I'm really excited about the game. That's a great opportunity for both teams to make their case that they should be a top-25 caliber team uh, I agree. throughout the, the season. All right, the music's about to go on, and we thank you so much for being on the show. So let me ask you before you go, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Michigan State at Kentucky, who wins? I'll take Kentucky. I think they get revenge in Indianapolis after losing uh, in Indy to St. Peter's back in March. And 9.30 tomorrow night, the national champion Kansas Jayhawks are taking on Duke with all their five-star freshmen. Who's going to win that one? I'll take Kansas. I know they're kind of figuring things out, but I love Jalen Wilson. I think they have an opportunity to be really good. Perfect timing, Kevin. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Uh, let's stay in touch, and uh, maybe we'll get you back on soon for a uh, chat more about college basketball. Thanks, Jim. Have a good one. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks so much. All right, Kevin Sweeney from Sports Illustrated. Great job. Going to a commercial break, and we're going to be chatting with Patrick Madden from the Big Big East blog. We love that basket. Okay, folks, we are back on College Hoops Chat. I'm your host, Jim Misano, here on WVOX 1460 AM. And on the line is our next guest, Patrick Madden, who runs the Big Big East blog. Patrick, how are you? Hey, Jim, how's it going? Doing great. Did you enjoy the first week of the season? Uh, There were some interesting games. I don't know if anything necessarily stood out as uh, a game of the year candidate necessarily, but... You know, there was there was some interesting action, and there were things we could learn early in the season. There was. Um, so you concentrate on the Big East. You know it extremely well, and we like that's why we like having you on the show. You're a Big East expert, um, and uh, only one team so far has lost a game in the Big East, and of course, it's the his historic, at least last decade, no, number one best team in the Big East. Villanova lost to Temple. Tell us about that game. Well, I mean, part of the issue that Villanova had was that they really couldn't get any type of consistent offense going. Uh, they got a cut. They got a good game from their big man, Eric Dixon. But other than that, they, and they really couldn't get any shooting from their guards, which also showed up in their game tonight against Delaware State. I think they ended up going like four for 27 from three, even though they managed to beat Delaware State. So this is not this is not the Colin Gillespie, Jermaine Samuels, Jalen Brunson, Villanova Wildcats right now. Uh, the question is when do their two biggest stars, Cam Whitmore and Justin Moore, get back? Whitmore could be back within the next week because he's apparently they've taken the bandages off of his hand. Moore, of course, is waiting until probably the beginning of 2023. So that's right. So Villanova lost at Temple, who's a good team. I saw they were under. 100 in Kempom, so the Temple's a solid team. It's not like they lost to a 300 or a 250 team in Kempom. They lost to a, a very good team, Temple, uh, but they also lost without what's probably their two best players uh, in Justin Moore and the freshman Cam Whittemore are both hurt right now. Uh, so maybe that game that was 68-64 Temple winning might have gone differently had Villanova had their two stars. Oh, I think so. Uh, then they've got some issues coming up you know, on Friday night, they have to go out to Michigan State. And, you know, if they don't have those two guys, I think Michigan State's a prohibitive favorite uh, when they go out to the road uh, for that one. Uh, and then they go out to Oregon in a week and a half for the big PK-85 tournament where they might have to face the likes of North Carolina. They play Iowa State. So they have, they have some tough sledding coming up. 
the next couple of weeks. But, you know, I think if you're a Villanova fan, you have to look, take the long picture and say when they get healthy, uh, hopefully, you know, they'll get their act together and they'll get back to where they should be, which is near the top of the conference. But time will tell. I agree. And let's, let's also remember that, that game against Temple, even their opening game against LaSalle, that's the big five. These schools have an historic rivalry. Those games are often close. They battle out in the palestra. They're kind of famous games in the Philadelphia area. So it's not shocking they lost to Temple for a multitude of reasons. All right, let's go to your team. You're a fan of this of Seton Hall. You have a brand new coach. Uh, probably a lot of excitement because you got the former St. Peter's coach and a former star Seton Hall player, a former star pirate um, in Shaheen Holloway. Um, so how are we feeling at Seton Hall? Well, I, I think I, I don't think uh, I don't think your friend John Rothstein is going to steal this from me. But what I said after watching them on Wednesday was their phrase should be "check your fillings," meaning they play in your face defense, and it, it's something where you know when you're watching a Kevin Willard team, you know as good as they might look on the court, I don't think people will get as emotionally people would not have gotten as emotionally invested in that team as they will in the team playing this year, simply because they play with such an intensity. Holloway, of course, is uh, a very uh, dramatic character when he's on the court. He's clapping his hands. He's staring down the officials. He got into, it looked like he was about to get into a screaming match uh, with an official on Wednesday night, even though they were winning by 30 points against Mammoth. So he is someone who is going to be intense, from 40 minutes, whether they're winning by 30 or losing by 30. So I think if they play with that type of intensity, they're going to perform about as expected or even better than that. Uh, they have a big one on Wednesday night uh, playing Iowa. Uh, your old friend Fran McCaffrey's coming into town. Sure. Uh, and it's an interesting contrast between Iowa that plays an up-and-down up offense against Seton Hall that wants to drag you in the mud. So it's going to be interesting to see which of those styles wins out on Wednesday night in Newark. I want to see that game. I think that's going to be a very good game. Um, look, that's how Shaheen coaches. That's how he wants his team to play. In your face, check your fillings. Um, by the way, John Rothstein says, Al Amir Dawes is uh, buy stock in this guy. Tell me about that player. Well, Al Amir Dawes is coming from Clemson. Uh, some people say that he was held back. Uh, by the coaching staff down there because they wanted to play a slow tempo uh, where they didn't want to emphasize his offensive ability, which might have been part of the motivation he had to transfer up. Uh, what I've seen of Dawes so far is someone who is definitely aggressive with the ball offensively. Uh, whether he's going to get as many touches in Holloway's system as you might like for a guy like that because he's got to get the ball to guys like Femi Odukali, Jameer Harris, Kadari Richmond. I mean, they're not going. Seton Hall's not going to have a star. They're going to have a lot of guys who can score the ball, but they may not have the one guy who's like a Miles Powell who, you, who you're looking to put up 25, 30 points to get a win. So it's going to be more balanced attack. Again, Holloway's playing a defense where he may not be as desperate for points as some other coaches might be. So, but I think Dawes is someone who is going to impress people. I think the people who saw the first two games already have a positive opinion about him. All right, so let's jump to a new team. We did the team you you root for. Now let's do the team I root for, St. John's Red Storm. Pretty easy so far. Beat uh, Mary Mack, 97-72. Uh, Lafayette uh, hung tough with St. John's. 
uh, over the weekend, 83-68. Um, the one thing I've been watching for with St. John's, my question mark, I know they'll play good defense. Um, I know the type of athletes they have. Uh, they'll get a lot of deflections. It's going to lead to a lot of offense. Uh, Corbello, Posh Alexander, Jones, uh, and, and a whole bunch of other players on our team are going to play off the defense. I feel good about all that. What I don't know about St. John's is will they shoot well? They need to shoot better from three. That was a problem last year when they lost all those single-digit games. Uh, I did notice in the first two games, Patrick, uh, St. John's shot 43.5% from three. That's a good sign. Yes, it would be. Now, again, the competition is not exactly what you'd like it to be. Uh, I don't know if they run into anybody difficult. They're not gonna, they shouldn't have an issue with Nebraska on Thursday night coming in the car in a second. Uh, of course, now you, the guy you didn't mention, David Jones, is a guy, I think, who is going to get the most minutes, who might be expected to do the most shooting, because of that starting five that St. John's is playing, Jones is the person who's got the best shooting statistics. And the other guy I'm sure they're hoping is going to get more into the mix is the freshman A.J. Store. I think he hit a couple of them against Lafayette the other night. I don't remember seeing the box score. But, you know, when you're looking at, you know, shooting-wise, uh, if that becomes something, what they need is someone who can be a reliable shooter. That could be Store. That could be Jones. Uh, maybe Alexander's shot gets better as the season goes along. So it's really a matter of you need to let you need to get some spacing in the offense, and that requires you to hit some three pointers. And it's going to be the impetus on somebody at St. John's to be that guy who you can get the ball from twenty five feet and knock them down enough to keep a defense honest against them. Okay, so let's go to one other team. Um, because I think they're the best team in the Big East on paper. Uh, Creighton, uh, kind of tighter than it should have been against St. Thomas, but then they blew out North Dakota. Uh, does Creighton got any big-time games coming up? I want to see them tested. Creighton's got the Maui Invitational coming up starting next week. First time that's been in Hawaii in three years. Uh, their opening game is going to be a, probably against a decent Texas Tech team sure. that plays good defense that's going to show you, uh, you know, what offensive capabilities Creighton has. And then if they win that game, they will probably match up against top 10 Arkansas. And a lot of people have Arkansas, uh, Arkansas and Creighton as sleeper Final Four picks. Arkansas has Nick Smith, one of the best freshmen in the country. So if you're looking for Creighton to get a test, it won't be until they go out to Hawaii next week. But in Hawaii they're going to face a lot of good teams, at least Texas Tech, probably Arkansas, and maybe Arizona if they get to the final. So if you want to see Creighton get tested, tune in next week. And everyone's going to be watching the Maui Invitational, but we'll see what Creighton does against that top level of competition. All right, before the music starts, one of the best games so far this season in the Big East was a Jersey team. You're a Jersey guy, Ryder, tough team in the MAC that's going to give Iona a race, uh, really challenged Providence. Yeah, I think Providence still has some stuff to figure out. Uh, and the Leprechauns came up from Boston to screw up. I forgot the name of the player. Murray, I think, was the guy who slipped on that last play for Ryder. Absolutely. Uh, we'll see what Providence is like. Uh, they got some tough games coming up. They do. All right, Patrick, thank you so much. That's the music. Thanks for being a friend of our show. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Jim. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Patrick. Matt. All right, commercial break, folks. Back for the final segment soon. They're playing 
Okay, folks, we are back on Kyle's Super Chat for our final segment tonight. And on the line is our number one caller from day one of the show, Kenny from Rye. That's my friend Ken Nixon, who I grew up with. Ken, Kenny from Rye, are you there? James, how we doing? Doing great. I think we have a great show going tonight. What do you think? Yeah, both both guests are great. Uh, it was nice to get uh, Mr. Sweeney on there and give us a little bit of a national perspective. And then, obviously, Mr. Madden and his uh, in-depth uh, Big East knowledge is extremely helpful. Sure is. And uh, he talked about uh, your love, those Providence Friars, and um, they really struggled in their opening game, 66-65. But, but we knew that. You and I have discussed it on the show, that that'd be a tough first game for Providence. Ryder had a lot of older guys back. They're, they've uh, A lot of their starters came back from last year. They're going to be a tough team, even for Iona in the MAC, uh, but Providence then bounced back and beat Northeastern in the following game, 89-65. Yeah, I mean, as we discussed last year, I mean, Ryder kind of heated up at the, at the last third of the year and then went on and beat Iona early on in the uh, conference. It was upsetting to us. But And then coming out of this year, I think we we and others had them as kind of second again, you know, to Iona. But, uh, you know, they're a tough team. And as you say, they, got, they had a lot of returning starters, they played. Uh, they were up by at least almost 15 points against Providence early on, shooting very well. And again, remember they're on the road, and so I thought it was a very good game. And to be honest with you, Providence got a little bit lucky because on the last possession, the guy tripped. It wasn't a defensive play. That's true, uh, and he did trip and a little bit wet there. You better get your court uh, a little clear cleared up there, Ken Kenny from Roy. Yeah, exactly. I think there was a little complaint on that, but that was just a clear trip. And then the Northeastern game was was actually kind of the the Friars returning to. Uh, normal and, and you know on a home perspective and um i think it was they were kind of clicking on all cylinders there even with all the the changes but um your uh usc alumni as we joked about is uh mr carter there is another the swiss army knife for us and a great defensive player and he's all over the court diving for balls and you know he's a great great teammate this year for the for the for the providence friars well that's a good um uh entry uh for one for to bring up a new subject here so first of all, I'm not happy with you and your Providence Friars because you keep taking the really good players off my son's team. My son goes to the uh, University of South Carolina, the Gamecocks. Uh, uh, they have a nice basketball tradition there. In the last two years, uh, uh, a really solid rotation piece left South Carolina and went to Providence. So I'm not happy. But they did get a little stroke of luck this year, South Carolina Gamecocks, and that is Gigi Jackson. I know how much you know about Gigi Jackson, Kenny from Rye, but it's kind of an interesting story. He committed... To North Carolina. He's a five-star player, one of the top players that was supposed to be in the class of 2023. But I think when he saw the NIL money, he wanted to get to college faster. So he had enough credits to graduate uh, in June. So he graduated, but then went to North Carolina and said, I'm ready to come now. And unfortunately, they had all 13 scholarships filled. So Gigi Jackson then said, well, I'm not going to be able to go to North Carolina. I'll just stay home because he's a, a South Carolina kid. I'll go to University of South Carolina. So here's South Carolina getting a five-star player falling to their lap. I watched the first two games. He's really good. I mean, he's not just five-star on paper. He's a terrific player. South Carolina is 2-0, and they won a rivalry game in his second game against Clemson, who's a pretty good ACC team. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you got a new coach, and so that you know, uh, that 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 that's the change. And we, you know, Providence benefited by the, the gentleman leaving the year before that. It was a fifth year player, but uh, in losing Frank Martin, you knew it was going to be a big change. So right. obviously, some good momentum out of there. 
and he took advantage of the opportunity. I don't blame him. I'm sure he was on, you know, when these guys get hired, depending on where they are in the cycle, no matter what, it's somewhat late in the, in, in the recruiting cycle. So you've got to kind of be creative if you want to use that word. Um, and so obviously that was a big kicker for him. I mean, from a perspective, he's had plenty of room on the, on the team as, you know, a lot of the USC, I think what it was. Five or six guys transferred. Yeah, exactly. And, and the rest of the team put themselves in the portal as well. So, uh, it was to be expected. So it's a, it's a great situation for USC. It's a good situation for the, the SEC. And I think, uh, uh, the uh, Lamont Paris, the new coach, will will do a good job there. You know, I get, do think he will. If you get off on the right foot, you know, he got like he's, he he lost half his team to the transfer portal. Uh, but it looks like they have three very good guards: Gigi Jackson and this Hayden Brown guy that transferred from the Citadel, who's terrific. He played so well in the first two games. So they have some players. The SEC is really hard, though. We'll see how they do. I like Lamont Paris. You remember Kenny? He was the guy that did such a great job with Tennessee Chattanooga last year. Uh, people were talking about them as an upset team, Kenny, if you remember, in the first round and see late tournament. Now he's at South Carolina. I think he'll do a terrific job, and I think he's going to bring the program back. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, all right, so let's go to it. I did not talk so far about one Big East team. I talked about all the top Big East teams. I didn't talk about UConn because all UConn did was blow everybody up. They got a massive cupcake game. Sorry, Tommy Freyer. Uh, Stonehill in their opening game, their first time ever in Division One. That's who UConn opens with. They win 85 to 54. Then they beat BU 86 to 57. UConn hasn't been challenged yet. I look forward to seeing them be challenged. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and just like you were saying in the beginning of the show, some teams decide to start out with games that challenge them, depending on the maturity of their team, and some choose not to, depending on how much I guess you'd say change in their roster. UConn had a lot of change in their roster, so I don't think Curley did a, a bad idea by kind of walking out of the gate with a couple of easy ones. Uh, he did, he does have, and I'm I'm stealing from John Rothstein here because uh, I didn't see it I didn't see it firsthand as it wasn't <clears throat> nationally televised. They had three starters go down in the first week, so that will be the challenge going forward. Obviously, for them, we'll see how it goes because not only are you are, are you do, you do you want to get the players on the court, but you want to get them practicing as well. And so if you have that much emotion or that much change in your roster, the practices become that much more important. So they play on November 24th at 8 p.m., UConn at Oregon. That'll be a tough challenge. That's a real tough game for them. And then they play Oklahoma State. So we're going to see a lot more very soon next week uh, about UConn. Funny thing, Ken, you know who their next two games are, UConn? Talk about my, you know my background very well as my buddy. Uh, they're playing tomorrow night against Buffalo Bulls. And then November 18th, they play UNC Wilmington, where we have our second home. So they're, they're hitting, uh, UConn's hitting uh, Misano turf the next two nights. Uh, uh, both teams are, are not bad. I, they can give them a game. No, exactly. And, and as I mentioned, the three, they've got three starters hurt, so you never know. And, and UNC Wilmington has shown up a number of times at the end of the year, as, as, you've, as you've covered. So, uh, again, these teams you bring in, you got to be very, very careful who, who uh, you know, what you, what you think of them. As you mentioned, some of the upsets over the weekend, and one of them, and interesting, the two teams that are marquee games for them coming up lost their they lost games over the weekend. OSU lost, and Oregon lost as well. All right, let's wrap up the show, Ken. We got a couple minutes left with the team that you and I have season tickets for, and that would be the Iona University Gales. I'm getting better at saying Iona University on the show. Uh, they had a great opening night. We were sitting together. We had a lot of fun with our friends. My, I, my, my, my wife was with me. You had two buddies. We all sat together. It was a great win for Iona. Rick put on the press. The entire tenor of the game changed, and Iona blew out a very good Penn team predicted to win the Ivy League. Uh, but then game two, Iona 
met a team that was a little bit of a mirror image to them. They could hit threes. They can. Uh, they could. They could press themselves. They were very quick. Hofstra played really well. That forty-eight percent from three, and that won them the game. You know, I, I thought the, the game against Penn they played extremely well because Penn Penn is predicted to be one or two in the Ivy League, and and they just did not shoot well, and not and, and that was probably as much to do with Iona's defense as it was to Penn kind of having a little bit of an off night. But I thought one thing was nice that Iona walked out on the court with four starters, uh, four of the five I should say being from last year's team. So they they definitely had. A, they were a much better looking team offensively and defensively to get out of the gate, and so I thought that was important. You went to the game after that at Hofstra. Uh, I was surprised, and I want to know how many times Hofstra shoots forty eight point three percent the three point line going forward. I mean, I want to know how many times Hofstra could do that without people defending them. So that may have been a little bit of an anomaly. I mean, they only shot forty nine percent from the field. So right. it's a little bit unusual. I know he can blame the defense, but it just happened to be one of those nights, I think. Right, and other things in that game against Hofstra went well for Iona. They they won it, uh, points in the paint 44-18. They won on second-chance points 18-0. to It's just that Iona defended the three poorly. If you watch that game, there was a lot of open threes. The ball screens from Hofstra were excellent. I must say, Speedy Claxton, you get uh, a tip of the hat because your team was well-coached. And they were ready for that game, and they got a lot of great looks from three. And as you said, they knocked him down almost half the time. Yeah, I mean, again, let's see how many times they shoot forty-eight percent from three for the rest of the year. But as you mentioned, I have a feeling from a perspective outside of St. John's, it was a little bit of a battle for the the metro area here from a perspective of Claxton getting that ready, saying this. I agree. All right, so that's where I'll wrap up. It was a, a, a New York area game. Hofstra upset Iona. I know Iona will be fine. Right now, Kenny, they're probably in the gym right now drilling on how to stop the three-pointer. If you know Rick Pitino, that's what's happening right now. I expect that as well. Great show, Dan. Thanks. Thank you, Kenny from Rye. Thank you to all the listeners. Thank you, everybody. Enjoy the second week. Uh, we'll be back next Monday to talk about all these games. I'm Jim Misano. This is Kyle Tupchat. See you next Monday, everybody.